0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis 32. Uh, We're going to look at verses 22 through 32 this morning. I I did notice midway through my preparation that the Thursday morning women's Bible study that meets here has been going through Genesis and I think recently studied the life of Jacob or studied this particular passage, so uh, hopefully what I say won't be review for you if you're in that Bible study. Um, You are better uh, equipped to pick apart my sermon this morning, so no pressure as far as that goes. Um, As you turn to Genesis 32, I think it's important to reflect on Jacob as the character that he's presented in Scripture because he's... He's only mentioned prominently for about ten chapters, and there's actually a lot of very interesting events that take place in the life of Jacob that kind of make him stand out in Scripture. Uh, There aren't too many characters, for instance, that uh, there there aren't too many records of twin brothers that were born as Jacob and his brother Esau were with Jacob literally grabbing his brother's heel, almost in an attempt to to pull him back so that Jacob can emerge as the firstborn and receive all the rights and inheritance uh, that come with that. Uh, Similarly, we don't see too many records of a brother who uh, coerces the birthright from his older brother or then later tricks the father into blessing him instead of his older brother. Uh, The circumstances of Jacob's first marriage are also uh, rather interesting. Um, Even in today's culture where we tend to be very fixated with with weddings, especially celebrity weddings, uh, we don't see too many instances of a man who wakes up the morning after his wedding realizing he married the wrong woman. Uh, now, I, on the, you know, as you think about that, that might rank for a really interesting reality TV show by our, our culture standards. They could call it the bachelorette roulette or something along those lines. <laughs> uh, but perhaps one of the most unique or mysterious events in the life of Jacob is the one uh, that our text is concerned with this morning, and that is when Jacob wrestles with God in a very, very physical, very literal, uh, very intimate uh, sense. And so as, as, we, uh, as we prepare for a sermon this morning. Let's uh, look at the text. So again, this is uh, Genesis 32, starting verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word that you have given us. Lord, I thank you that your word is living and active, that it pierces our hearts, it pierces our souls, but it encourages us and it gives us uh, insight into how you work in our lives and how we are to follow you follow after you, Lord. So I pray this morning that your word will go forth boldly, that your spirit will uh, make this living and active in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I just pray that you would give me uh, confidence and peace and strength in the message that you have given me to speak this morning, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this passage, again, it's, it's odd, it's a little mysterious, uh, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what's going on, especially when you, when you think about what, we, what often comes to mind if you hear the term wrestling. When somebody says, you know, wrestling, and they ask the average person what's the first thing that pops into your mind, it's typically an image like this. Uh, <laughs> I am reasonably certain Jacob probably did not look like that. Now, oddly enough, the accounts that we have in Scripture, his brother Esau could very much have looked like that, uh, which might explain why Jacob was a little frightened of him uh, in this text. Uh, this, is, this is a very interesting passage. There's a lot of mystery, and there's really not a lot of explanation as to what's going on here. Uh, I think sometimes it can be easy to overlook uh, the mystery or the uniqueness of what's going on. If you've, if you've heard this passage a lot, it can start to sound commonplace. Even some of God's uh, just most unique uh, miracles and mysteries can start to sound commonplace if you're exposed to them uh, a lot. But even if you've never heard this before, you have heard it before, and it doesn't seem to make any sense, you can kind of make sense of this as you think through, well, I wrestle with God uh, through prayer, I wrestle with my circumstances, God, God kind of seeks me out, there, there's ways I have, to, I have to come to him in, in moments that are, are difficult, um, so you can kind of make sense of this passage, or at least feel like you can relate to Jacob a little bit. But um, as, I, as I contemplated this passage, it, it really got impressed upon me that this is not a situation I have experienced. Um, I don't think any of us have been in the position of Jacob in this passage. And so um, it occurred to me that the, the, the situation Jacob's confronted with is one that none of us have ever experienced, but all of us feel as if somewhat we can relate to. This morning, I would like to look at three aspects or three, three points in relation to this passage. Uh, the occasion of, for Jacob's wrestling, the outcome of Jacob's wrestling, and the overtone in Jacob's wrestling. So, the occasion and the outcome and the overtone. Uh, let's look first at the occasion for Jacob's wrestling. The background we have on Jacob up until this point is not a shining example of humanity. He is, he is not uh, a traditional hero of the Bible in the sense that everything he does, you know, we think, oh, we should emulate this guy. Um, Jacob tends to be typified by his abilities to trick, deceive, or or coerce people into getting what he wants. He tends to struggle very well with men and get what he wants out of them. Uh, Even Jacob's name means uh, or implies one who lies, one who deceives, one who contends, uh, one who supplants or usurps, one who basically seeks his own will through his own cunning through his own abilities and Jacob lives up to that name very well I mean his relationships up until this point bear witness of his name and as previously mentioned uh, Jacob contended with his brother Esau he wrestled the birthright from his brother he tricked his father into getting the blessing that rightfully belonged to his older brother Uh, and Esau is not very happy about this so Esau vows to kill Jacob and Jacob, in response, flees his homeland. He goes to stay with his uncle, uh, Laban. But what's important to note there is while Jacob flees, the Lord appears to him and says, you, you are my chosen one. You're the one that I'm going to make my great nation through. The blessing does actually belong to you. And so while he's with, uh, while he's with Laban, Jacob prospers greatly. The Lord uh, gives him an abundance of livestock servants. Uh, he has two wives, female servants. And the point we encounter Jacob, he has 11 children, uh, which is Quite incredible by, by those standards of that day. Even today, that's, that's quite incredible. Um, and Jacob will go on to have 12 children, which will become the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob uh, is in a pretty good position right now. But all that he has is being threatened at this moment by his brother Esau. Uh, after Jacob had amassed this great fortune, the Lord commands him to return to the land that he left, uh, the land of his father. And so Jacob is obedient. He responds to the Lord in obedience, and he's coming back to that land but he realizes he's going to have to confront Esau. He's going to have to make this, this right. He's going to have to visit his brother. And so as he, as he nears the land where his brother is, he, he sends out messengers, and we see this at the beginning of this chapter, and he sends out messengers to Esau with this message. Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I, may find my, that I might find favor in your sight. So Jacob sends this really nice message to his brother. He's he's calling him, you know, you are my Lord, I am your servant. He's kind of trying to, to smooth things over. And Jacob's messengers come back and they say, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you with 400 men. Which is probably not the message that Jacob was hoping to get back. It's probably not what he got really, he probably did not rejoice thinking, oh yay, more people, this will be a party. It probably interpreted it as there's there's an army of 400 men coming with Esau to make good the vow that I that the last thing that I heard from him before I left. So J- Jacob's greatly distressed. He's greatly struggle or greatly troubled. He's struggling with this, but he still keeps his wits about him. He he still has some tricks up his sleeve. He still thinks I I can I can fix this. So Jacob uh, divides his possessions into two camps and he sends them in two different directions, thinking if Esau gets one, I still have the other. I can, I can preserve at least half of what I have. Uh, Jacob's also not completely devoid of spiritual sense here. He does pray to the Lord. He asks for deliverance. And then he hatches another plan. He gets another idea. He takes uh, some of his possessions. He takes 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. So he takes quite a bit of, of the, the wealth that he has. And he sends them on ahead of him. And, and with each drove, the servants are to command Esau, when they, when they encounter him, that these are for you. These are a gift from your servant, Jacob. And Jacob's thinking, maybe if I give Esau these blessings, I can get him to forget or at least forgive the blessing that I stole from him. So Jacob's still, he's still scheming. He's still thinking, maybe I can, I can wrestle my way out of this predicament. As we pick up where our text begins here, um, that same night Jacob takes his family and his remaining servants and he sends them across the ford at the Jabbok River. Uh, Jabbok is actually a very providential name here because it literally means a place of passing over or the implication was a place of struggling or to pour out or to empty. And that's, that's exactly what happens here for Jacob. I mean, it's here on the banks of this river that Jacob is emptied. It's here that he finds himself alone. It's here that Jacob struggles with God. It's here that God comes and wrestles with Jacob. I mean, I wonder what it must have felt like in that moment. It was probably, probably pitch black, very dark. Uh, Jacob might have been sitting by himself. Um, it's probably very quiet. Maybe all that, that Jacob heard was uh, the, the river behind him. Um, he'd been traveling with a, a large caravan of a lot of cattle, so it's probably more, more silence than he's had for the last several days. And maybe all of a sudden Jacob becomes aware that he's not alone, that that something or someone is there with him. And maybe Jacob looks around, reels around, tries to figure out what what exactly is going on here, who's here. Or maybe, without any warning at all, out of the darkness, Jacob is just all of a sudden attacked by someone and taken completely by surprise. But I I wonder what Jacob was thinking right then. Did, Did Jacob realize right away that that this was not an ordinary man that he's wrestling with? Did he maybe think, did Esau find me earlier than I thought? Is this my brother? Is this, is this how this is going to go down? Uh, I mean, I wonder if he knew just by the, the way the person felt that, that this, wasn't, this wasn't an ordinary man. Or maybe they wrestled throughout the whole night and it wasn't until Jacob's hip was touched and put out of, out of joint that he, he realized, this isn't, this isn't the person I thought I was wrestling with. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like to, to be in a, a furious life and death struggle with, with God, the way Jacob was. Uh, the text is very abrupt here. It, it seems to indicate that Jacob was alone in solitude, and then instantly the Lord appeared and wrestled him. Uh, and then they wrestle all night, and then almost as quickly as it started, as surprisingly as the, as the attack came, God touches his hip, and the wrestling match is done, and all Jacob can do is hold on to God. All I can do is cling to God for a blessing. Uh, the occasion for Jacob's wrestling is, is unique. It's, it's interesting. There's a lot of mystery around this. Uh, but the outcome of Jacob's wrestling is perhaps even more, more mysterious, more interesting. Um, but what's really unique about the situation is that Jacob is in a very vulnerable place. He's, he's not on this kind of high of God has given me everything, I'm, I'm being blessed you know, with abundance, everything I, I touch prospers, and then all of a sudden God, God humbles him. Uh, Jacob is in a very vulnerable place already. He, he probably feels already like he's at his wit's end. I mean, he's, he's divided up all his belongings, he's sent his family on ahead of him, he's used every trick he knows how to try and, and make the situation turn out the way he wants it to, uh, but he still is uncertain about what's going to happen tomorrow. So he's alone, he's in the dark, and he's scared to death. And it's at that moment that God attacks him. I mean, it's in the moment where Jacob kind of lies exposed and helpless that God attacks him. And I'm sure from Jacob's perspective, it didn't feel like God was holding much back. I mean, what what if God dealt with us that way? What if in our our weakest, most helpless, most vulnerable moments, God assaulted us in a very physical, uh, very intimate way? I mean, it's it's amazing how we like to interpret uh, barriers or opposition the way that we want to interpret them. Uh, I've heard people say, if if someone's raising support to go on the mission field or something like that, someone will say, well, if you're having trouble getting your support raised, then probably means God doesn't want you to do this. Or I've heard people say, wow, I'm I'm, I'm experiencing such opposition with this. I'm having so much trouble getting this done. It must mean that God wants me to do this because Satan is really trying to stop it. I mean, which is it? Are opposition and barriers that we encounter, are they a sign of obedience or are they a sign of waywardness? Are they a sign of God's uh, providence to, to push through or are they a sign of God's discipline towards us? I think what's even more glaring as we look at this passage is that very rarely do we interpret the barriers of the opposition that, that come our way as a means by which God is humbling us or emptying us or conforming us to his likeness. I mean, so often it's either God disciplining us or Satan trying to mess things up, but, but how often do we actually think, maybe God's trying to humble me. Maybe God's just trying to make me more like himself. Maybe this is how God's going to sanctify me. As, as we look at the outcome of Jacob's wrestling, uh, it's interesting that we recognize Jacob as the victor, as the one who triumphs. Uh, I've had some high school boys in, uh, on wrestling teams in the youth group, and uh, from what I've seen, most judges or most, most uh, referees on a wrestling match would not call Jacob the victor at the end of the wrestling match. But, but this is the way that Scripture records it. In fact, in verse 28, God told Jacob, You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Uh, in Hosea 12.4, it says, He, in reference to Jacob, strove with the angel and prevailed. Uh, even Bono, the lead singer for U2, sung the lyric, Jacob wrestled the angel and the angel was overcome. If Bono says it, it's got to be true, right? So. Uh, it's interesting that, that Jacob is the one credited with prevailing, that scripture gives him him that honor. Uh, especially when you look at Jacob's circumstances before and after the wrestling match. I mean, before the wrestling match, Jacob is alone, he's helpless, he's weak, he's lost ever. I mean, he's sent everything ahead of him, he's afraid of losing everything, he's terrified of his brother, he's scared to death. And at the end of the wrestling match, the only thing that's really changed tangibly is Jacob has a new name and a limp. But as far as his his tangible circumstances, not much has really changed. He's still worried about tomorrow. He still doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. He can't walk very well anymore, which means if Esau attacks him, he's even in a a lesser position of defending himself. I mean, this is not necessarily an outcome that would excite someone seeking to extract a blessing from the Lord. This is probably why we don't hear a lot of prosperity messages that, that say, oh, wrestle with God to get what you want, just like Jacob, because... Most of us don't like the idea of, of being crippled the way that Jacob was. Uh, I have yet to see uh, Christian slogans that come out of this, this text. Uh, I have yet to see a bumper sticker that, that reflects the God that's, that's in this narrative. Uh, if, if there were, they would probably look something like this. Uh, maybe follow God and in your darkest hour, and he will assault and cripple you. Yeah. Or uh, God, he changes your name and dislocates your hip. Yeah. Uh, somebody after the first service suggested we should start marketing those and maybe make some money for the building campaign. But This is, this is not the message that we typically use to try and pull people, and this is not the side of our God that we like to advertise. Um, and probably because this isn't necessarily the message that we, that we bask in. This, these aren't the things that we like to focus on. We don't really relish the thought of wrestling with God, unless, of course, it's on our own terms. Unless, of course, we're the ones setting it up. I mean, if we say, God, I'll do this if you do that. Or I'll give this up if you promise to give me that. We, we don't mind wrestling with God if, it, if we're the ones that get to dictate all the parameters. And I think it's important to note in this passage, and I, I don't want to make a big deal of this, but I, I think the narrative and the, and the way the text is written does uh, indicate this. In verse 24 it says, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. I mean, This seems to indicate that God is the one initiating this encounter. God is the one attacking Jacob it's not we don't seem see anything that seems to indicate that Jacob says all right God I'm at my wits end get down here let's take this out man to man I want to get a blessing from you it seems to much more indicate that God is the one who appears to Jacob and wrestles when God is trying to get something out of Jacob so, so the question would be what what does God want to get out of Jacob what what object is God trying to get out of this encounter with Jacob why did he initiate this encounter and if God is the one initiating it, and he could have touched Jacob at any moment and ended the struggle, why did God prolong it? Why did God allow it to continue all night? Uh, I don't think God's intentions are, are necessarily hard to see here. He wrestles with Jacob in order to reduce Jacob to a sense of nothingness, in order to show Jacob uh, what a helpless and worthless creature he is. Uh, in, in other words, he's trying to force Jacob to realize that any, any strength, power, or control that Jacob thinks he has is actually nothing when confronted by the one true God. And God violently breaks into Jacob's life, and he puts into perspective the current predicament that Jacob finds himself in. Because right now, Jacob is terrified of his brother Esau. He's terrified of losing everything he's, he's been blessed with. He's terrified of what's going to happen the next morning. But what, what God does is, after the wrestling match, Jacob realizes he has far more to fear from God than he does men. Jacob realizes that he has really nothing to fear from Esau and everything to fear from God. I mean, God's objective in wrestling Jacob is not that hard to see. He wants Jacob's heart. He wants Jacob heart, Jacob's heart, and it, and it still begs the question, though, why did, why did God allow the wrestling match to go on all night? Why did the struggle take so long? I remember when I was about uh, 11 or 12 years old, my dad and I uh, had had you know, one of these great father-son bonding days. We'd been out doing stuff together, and uh, we just had, had lunch, and we were getting ready to go back home, and we were in the car, and my dad looks over at me, and he kind of gets a smile on his face, and he says, this has been a great day. You know what? And he goes, bam! And I, he just socks me <laughs> right in the chin. And I go, ow! Oh, what the heck? What, what was that? And my dad says, "Ooh, I'm so sorry. I, I meant to do this. Bam! And he socks me again, probably harder than the first time. And I said, I know! You did it twice! I, I Why? And he says, I'm so sorry, I just meant to kind of gently nudge you like this. And I go, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I get the sentiment, I appreciate it, I'm not a huge fan of the repeat performance. <laughs> um, as I thought about that later, my dad and I uh, roughhoused when we were younger. I mean, we're guys, was, you know, I was a little boy, we, we roughhoused all the time. I had never been hit by my dad like that. I still so think that's probably the hardest hit I've ever had. Um, and that's not a challenge to try and change that. I'm very, very comfortable with, with where that stands. But, um, but the reason i would never been hit by my dad like that before is because fathers don't wrestle with their sons that way. And just to be clear, my dad doesn't hit me. Depth's perception was off or something that day. But, um, but fathers don't wrestle with their sons that way. And fortunately for Jacob, God exhibited quite a bit more control over himself in their encounter than my dad did in that moment in the car. Uh, But that's what's important to recognize here, is that certainly God could have ended the struggle at any time. He could have touched Jacob and and done what he wanted. I mean, for that matter, God didn't even need to physically wrestle with Jacob. He didn't need to appear before Jacob like that. He could have brought Jacob to a, a sense of nothingness. He could have humbled and emptied Jacob using anything he wanted. He didn't need to appear and wrestle physically with Jacob, but but what's important to see is that God is not so focused on getting his plan done. He's not like us in, in getting his things done right away. He's not so focused on that that he's unwilling to walk with us and to, to struggle with us and to bear with our, our fleshly weakness. I mean, God, God is willing to struggle with Jacob and to walk with him to accomplish his plan. I mean, even the manner in which God engages Jacob is significant, because Jacob has spent his entire life wrestling with people to get what he wants. He spent his, his whole life contending with people. And, and that's the playing field that God meets Jacob on. That's the way God engages Jacob. I and mean, this is God speaking Jacob's language. I mean, God encounters Jacob and deals with Jacob in the same way that Jacob has dealt with every other person in his life. I mean, God is speaking Jacob's language in this passage. He doesn't, he doesn't Reduce Jacob to nothing in in the blink of an eye or a flash of his omnipotent power, but he he wrestles with Jacob all night without taking any shortcuts. And so and they struggle together until God sees fit to end it, to strike the final blow, and to touch Jacob and and reduce him to the fact where he could not wrestle anymore. All he could do was hold on to God. And at that point, God actually gives Jacob the opportunity to back out. He says, Let go, the sun's about to rise. And he gives Jacob the ability at that point to to do something Jacob's never done before, really, and that was to admit defeat, to admit that there's nothing more he can do here. But what Jacob does is is he he clings to God, and he says, No, for the first time ever, Jacob actually seeks the blessing from the right place. He says, No, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And that's exactly the outcome that God wanted from Jacob. This was the outcome that he saw. This was the point of their struggle together, was to bring Jacob to a place where he could do nothing but lean his entire weight on the Lord. This was God's desire for his covenant child, for his chosen one. God wanted Jacob to see that he could not, he wasn't chosen because of his abilities, because of his strength, because of, of what he could do. But Jacob needed to pursue the covenant on God's terms. In fact, Jacob needed to learn that the covenant cannot be attained by strength, but through weakness and through clinging to God by faith. That's what God was trying to get out of Jacob. Uh, the, next, the next section of the next part of this narrative is equally as mysterious as, as the rest of the encounter because the blessing that Jacob receives is a new name. Uh, that in and of itself really isn't all that unique. There's several lots of characters in Scripture that receive new names. Uh, Abraham, Sarah, uh, Paul in the New Testament. Uh, but there's two points of singularity to the new name that Jacob receives. The first point is Jacob's new name was not an extension or a variant of his old name. Uh, unlike Abram, who became Abraham, or Sarai, who became Sarah, or Saul, who became Paul, Jacob's new name is, is completely new. It's a, it's, it's a transformation, it's something completely different. Uh, and secondly, unlike Abraham, Sarah, and Paul, who received new names and never reverted back to their old one, Jacob gets this new name, but he's still referred to as Israel and as Jacob. And, and as the, the texts go on in the, in the next several chapters, Jacob's still referred to as Jacob as well as Israel. In fact, more often than not, it, it is Jacob. And there's a dramatic and, and intimate depth, I think, for us in Jacob's new name. Uh, Jacob receives this new name, and it, it's, it's a, basically a change of his identity. So Jacob, who used to be the liar, the deceiver, the contender, now has the name Israel. He strives with God, or God strives. Uh, Israel can also uh, be meant to mean uh, God commands. So he receives a new name that... that is indicative of this transformation that's taken place. Jacob has wrestled with God. He's been brought to the point where all he can do is cling to God by faith and to walk with him. And his new name reflects the transformation that went on in Jacob's heart, that went on in Jacob's understanding. So Jacob is now known as the one who strives with God, but he's not henceforth known only as Jacob, the one who strives with God, the one who walks with God, God the one who clings by faith. Uh, sorry, he's not henceforth known as Israel. He's also known as Jacob, He's also known as the liar, the deceiver, the contender. And as Jacob limps away from his encounter with God, he he bears the weight of those two names. He still bears the struggle of those two natures. One nature that clings to God for the promise, in faith, for what only God can give him. Not relying on his own strength, but relying on God's strength. But the other nature that wants to do his own thing, that wants to walk his own way, that wants to pursue what he wants, through his means, through what he can attain. And those two natures are in conflict with each other. But does, that, does that start to sound familiar to us? I mean, as I looked at this text, I realized perhaps I, I can relate far more to Jacob's new name than I actually can Jacob's physical struggle with God. I mean, the new name didn't really stand out all that much until I realized there's actually more going on here. I can relate to Jacob's struggle between those, those two natures, those, those two selves, more so than I can uh, Jacob's actual physically, physical wrestling match with God. Well, this brings us to the third point, which is the, the overtone in Jacob's wrestling. Um, you may be wondering, oh, why did you choose the word overtone? And You got that whole O theme going on, like the occasion, the outcome. Okay, so you had to, you had to make that work. Um, Hopefully you haven't been pondering that this whole time and have missed perhaps anything else I've said, but um, but if you have, uh, l- let me clear that up. First of all, overtone was actually the first word that I arrived at as I was uh, trying to, to find out what I wanted to say this morning, and the reason for that I think is I chose this word very intentionally because I really can't claim to understand what Jacob experienced here. I have not physically wrestled with God in the way that Jacob did. There. Are there are times when I've wished that I could just talk to God face-to-face and, and ask him what's going on. There's times i wish for this, but I've never experienced what Jacob has experienced here. I really don't think any of us uh, have. Uh, most scholars agree that Jacob is probably wrestling with Jesus, not, not Jesus in the incarnate state that we see him in the New Testament, but, um, but that they would argue that this is, this is probably the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And the reason for that is because um, one, he, he appears as a man and as God, and Jesus, second person of the Trinity, is the only member of the Trinity to assume both of those forms. Um, I mean, obviously, Jacob couldn't look at him and live, so he probably, this, this was obviously a different state, a different form than Jesus in the New Testament. But uh, even uh, in Hosea 12, it calls this man that wrestled with uh, Jacob, it calls him the angel, or the angel of the covenant, which would seem again to point to Christ because he is the one that fulfills the covenant. He's the one that the covenant points to. So it seems very clear that Jacob is wrestling uh, with, with Jesus. Some scholars uh, try and explain this by calling this the son in a theophonic manifestation as opposed to incarnate. Uh, theophonic refers to a visual manifestation of a deity rather than a physical one. But, but even there, there's a problem because the person that wrestled with Jacob wasn't just visual, he was physical. There was, there was some flesh or form or figure that Jacob wrestled with in the night because Jake, Jacob is peril or is, uh, is crippled. He's, he walks with a limp afterwards. So clearly, there was a physical fight going on. And the point in saying that is, is I can't even clearly categorize who Jacob wrestled with. This, this whole thing is a mystery. It really doesn't make that much sense, and, and it's hard to wrap your head around. Uh, and the point I just want to make with that is that I can't put myself in Jacob's position. I can't look at this passage and say, I've been there, and, that, and this is what I need to get out of this. Uh, and this is where this idea of an overtone uh, comes in. An overtone is a word uh, primarily used to describe sound. In fact, in music, this is, this is what overtone means. A higher frequency or a tone that appears within a complex musical note and is heard above the fundamental tones in the note. So in other words, just, just more simply, overtone is a frequency that appears within something else and it rises above. So it, it's part of something, but it, but it rises above everything else. And again, I don't think any of us have experienced what Jacob experienced in this passage, but I think there's an overtone in this narrative that all of us relate to, that all of us get, that all of us perceive. Um, As as we read and try and and put ourselves in Jacob's place, what we resonate with is not the actual experience as much as it is the overtone that runs through this entire narrative. I mean, Many of you know what it's like to be at your wit's end. You know what it's like to have a decision or circumstances that just push you to the limit where you say, I just, I can't figure this out. This doesn't make any sense. I don't know what to do. That feeling of wrestling with God, even perhaps physically fighting him, might not seem that foreign to you because you feel like you've struggled that way. You feel like you've been where Jacob's at. You feel like you've cried out, maybe in in anguish, to whatever God has allowed to happen because it just doesn't make sense. And and I I think there is an ability to relate to this story, but but there's a greater overtone that I think if, if we recognize and then view this passage through the lens of, uh, it actually helps us understand our situations and our predicaments and our afflictions a little better. Uh, this, this stronger overtone uh, points to something bigger, to a, a greater contender, uh, to a truer Israel. In this narrative, Jacob is left alone and he wrestles with God, an event that leaves him, him crippled and gives him the name, he strives with God. And there's a distinct continuity between Jacob wrestling with God in this passage and uh, our New Testament reading that we had this morning, which is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling with God over the cup that had been given him to drink. And Jesus in the Garden and on the cross wrestling with his Father is, is a very similar picture to what we have with Jacob. But, but unlike Jacob, there are some very distinct differences in the way Jesus wrestled with God. For instance, Jesus' struggle was not in whether or not to put his faith in his flesh or in God, Like Jacob's. Jesus' struggle was not uh, a struggle of fear of what men could do to him, the way Jacob's was. Jesus did not merely experience the dislocation of his hip, but he experienced the mutilation and the piercing of his entire body. Jesus experienced the aching, the ache of carrying his cross. He experienced the weight of the scorn and the accusation of those that he came to save. Jesus struggled with his Father as God's wrath was poured out on him in full. And the weight of our sins came to bear on him. Probably the the biggest difference is, unlike Jacob, in Jesus' darkest hour, when he was stripped, exposed at the end of his physical strength, when he laid on the cross, Jesus was not given the option of holding on. Jesus was not given the option of holding on to his father and clinging to God the way Jacob was. In fact, probably one of the biggest sources of anxiety for Christ was the fact that he knew he was gonna to have to let go of his father. It was that he knew he was gonna to have to let go and his father would turn his back on him. And this is what brings us to the point where we can relate to this text probably best. Because I, I don't know where you guys are at this morning. I, I don't know if if you're experiencing circumstances Uh, I I don't know where you find yourself. I don't know if if you're dealing with tragedies, with illnesses, with deaths, with financial burdens, uh, or any other host of afflictions that you're wrestling with. I I don't know, and I can't speak into that situation. I can't can't make things better. Um, But I can tell you what we're told in this passage, and that is to hold on. That is to hold on and cling to the one who will never let you go. To cling to Jesus as your Lord and Savior who has taken the burden of your sins and the wrath that they deserve. Who died on the cross, who struggled with God and with men, and then conquered conquered all of that in his glorious resurrection. Cling to Christ and find courage and peace in the promise that he who began a good work in you will finish it through to completion. But, But also keep in mind, that's not a... It's not a fun process, necessarily. It's not comfortable. It requires us, like Jacob, to be emptied, to be brought to nothing, to see our reliance on the strength of God, not the strength of ourselves. We must brought, be brought to a point where all we can do is cling and hold on to the blessing. And but the other side of this is, if you're hearing this this morning, and you're not maybe in a difficult situation, but what you're struggling the most with is the fact that you trust in yourself, the fact that you put a lot of, of faith in, and your ability to control things, your ability to, to pursue outcomes that you want. Regardless of where you're at this morning, the, the message is clear. Do not leave here, as Jacob so often did, trusting in yourself, trusting in your own strength and your own abilities. I mean, We are wired to pursue the blessings of the covenant on our own terms and by our own merits, but the message of the cross and the message of Jacob's struggle is clear. We can do nothing but hold on to God and cling to him for the promise that he's guaranteed for us. On the cross, Jesus cried, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. He let go of his Father so that we could cling to him. Jesus let go of his Father so that we could cling to the cross, so that we could hold tight to him. So this morning, I just encourage you, throw aside the faith that we put in in our strengths, uh, the pretense that we like to hide behind, but cling to the only one who can truly give you peace who has been stricken for us, who wrestles with us to bring us to himself. Let us cling to the love that will not let us go. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us here this morning. I thank you for the fact that you struggle with us, you strive with us. You are a God who walks with us and brings us to the point where we need to be, not necessarily the place we want to be. I pray this morning that we would be willing to let go of ourselves and cling to you and find the joy and the treasure uh, that is in your gospel and in your good news and in your son. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.